of a pilgrim's mindset? That is the question we'll discuss today right here on the Christian Real of Your Radio program, where the mission is to sharpen the biblical worldview of Christians and to share the good news that all people can be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. I'm David Wheaton, the host, and our website is thechristianworldview.org. Well, thanks for joining us this Thanksgiving weekend on The Christian Worldview. Hope you and your loved ones had a very nice Thanksgiving, despite all the attempts by the media to not even have a Thanksgiving this year uh, in light of the coronavirus. But I hope you were able to have a nice Thanksgiving, thanking God for all the blessings we've received in life, well beyond the confusing and chaotic year we've had, the trials we've had in this country. Each of us has so much to be thankful for, especially uh, if you are one listening today that has been uh, open, had their eyes open to the, the gospel and how to be right with the God who created you. We have so much to be thankful for. So thank you for joining us today. You know, in a bygone era in America, it was widely affirmed that the Pilgrims founding of Plymouth Colony in New England and the self-governing principles that they wrote in their Mayflower Compact uh, they, that, that they agreed to before arriving in 1620, that those were the foundation of our government, of the people, by the people, and for the people, that, that has made the United States of America unique and a great nation. But then along came the New York Times, and they decided in their quote-unquote 1619 project that America was actually founded the year before the pilgrims arrived, when the first slaves were brought to the Virginia colony. In other words, the American story is really about racism. It's built on that, the oppression of peoples, rather than what the pilgrims came for, uh, for religious liberty, religious freedom. Now, the definition of a pilgrim is, quote, one who journeys to a sacred place for religious reasons. And that idea of a pilgrim is also used in Scripture by Peter in his letter to fellow believers. When they were suffering persecution, he says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. So there's a sense that the Christian life is a pilgrim life. We're we're passing through. We're on a quote-unquote religious journey. We're not a citizen of this place. We're we're passing through it on on a pilgrim journey for, quote, religious reasons. That exactly describes the Christian life. So what does it mean to be a pilgrim Christian and have a pilgrim mindset? Who were the American pilgrims? We'll get into that today. What did they believe and how does their worldview compare with ours? Let's say Christians today. Do we have that pilgrim mindset? So I hope you'll join us for the entire program today, this Thanksgiving weekend on the Christian Realview as we discuss and examine the the mindset of the pilgrims and why Christians today could use a whole lot more of it. Now, before we get into that topic, I want to give an update on some things going on with the election. We're continuing to to follow this this story that's percolating under the surface here in our country. I watched President Trump on Thanksgiving evening. He did a press conference say that This is the most, some people are telling him that this is the most important thing he's done in his entire presidency is looking into uh, whether there has been an election fraud and try to have our elections in this country free and fair. He thinks it's the biggest story of our lifetimes. And I I would agree with that. If if it, in fact, it is true and it is proved in 
in court that there has been such widespread voting fraud in this country uh, that elected Joe Biden to be our presumptive president-elect rather than re-electing President Trump. Uh, that is the biggest, at least political, geopolitical news story of a century. And so that's why we continue to, to focus on this story to, to some degree. Now, we, uh, there's a few sound bites I want to play. It sort of started with uh, President Trump's has a legal team with Sidney Powell, a well-known attorney, Rudy Giuliani, former mayor of New York, and also an attorney, and Jenna Ellis, who is, is another attorney. So he's had these, these three folks together. And right after the election, Sidney Powell, one of the attorneys, and we played this sound bite previously, but I think it's worth playing again because it sort of stuck a, a spear in the ground or drew a line in the sand for what is at stake here, it made allegations that are just unavoidable. Being in office, were allowed to rig their elections. This is stunning, heartbreaking, infuriating, and the most unpatriotic acts I can even imagine for people in this country to have participated in in any way, shape, or form. And I want the American public to know right now that we will not be intimidated. American patriots are fed up with the corruption from the local level to the highest level of our government. And we are going to take this country back. We are not going to be intimidated. We are not going to back down. We are going to clean this mess up now. President Trump won by a landslide. We are going to prove it. And we are going to reclaim the United States of America for the people who vote for freedom. Okay, that was Sidney Powell. And those are unbelievable allegations she's making that this election was stolen. President Trump won in the landslide. That was said a couple weeks ago. And, of course, that set off a, a storm of response and resistance. And so the country doesn't know what to, and I don't know what, what, what took place, whether all of this is is true or not. Well, what she's saying there is either true or false. And so the other side, of course, is either not even covering at all, just trying to sweep everything through. And oh, president or uh, vice president elect Biden is the next president. There's nothing to see here. Um, just you're a you're a crazy person if you believe that there could be enough widespread fraud to turn this election one way or another. But even Republicans like Chris Christie, the former governor of New York, he is before he even knows the evidence, he's pushing back on the notion that there could be widespread voting fraud that could impact the outcome of the election. If you've got the evidence of fraud presented and what's happened here is, quite frankly, the conduct of the president's legal team has been a national embarrassment. Sidney Powell accusing Governor Brian Kemp of a crime on television, yet being unwilling to go on TV um, and defend and lay out the evidence that she supposedly has. Um, this is outrageous conduct by any lawyer. And notice, George, they won't do it inside the courtroom. They allege fraud outside the courtroom, but when they go inside the courtroom, they don't plead fraud and they don't argue fraud. Okay, I'm going to stop it there, but just think about that. He doesn't know the evidence, and he's expecting that these lawyers for the president bring out all the evidence and, and try the, the case in the court of public opinion in the media. Why would they do that? Well, once they put all the evidence out there, it's going to be misinterpreted and, and twisted. And that's not the important person or people 
to uh, appeal to, you know, the, just the general public or the media. You're not trying to convince them. You're trying to convince a court of law who's going to look at the election. So they're actually very smart not to present the evidence to the media because they're going to be doing it in court, and they are doing it in court. Well, Greg Jarrett from Fox News said exactly that. They should not be giving it to the general public. Well, the unabashed arrogance of the media was on full display today as they were demanding to see the evidence. They're not entitled to see the evidence. Evidence is presented in a court of law, eyewitnesses, affidavits sworn under penalty of perjury. That's how the legal process goes. So as Giuliani pointed out, he has to go state by state. It takes time. It's taken two weeks to gather that evidence. And now he is going about the arduous task of presenting it judge by judge, jurisdiction by jurisdiction. But look, where you have uh, blank ballots that are assigned names, thousands of them, uh, and then filled in with votes when you have thousands of backdated ballots, when you have ballots that don't match valid voters, when you have ballots that don't match signatures, and importantly, where you have the integrity of voting machines and the critical software called into serious question because there's a backdoor that allows tens of thousands of votes to be transferred from one candidate to another instantaneously with a click of a mouse or the stroke of a keyboard. These need to be looked to at uh, in a court of law. That's how the process works. Of course, the media could be searching for this evidence on their own, but they wouldn't do that uh, because that would jeopardize their coronation of their chosen candidate, uh, Joe Biden. And it would be the responsible journalistic you know, thing to do. And they've proven they won't do it. That, that was said so well. There's no reason the media has to see any of the evidence. They're not important, nor do they even want to look into it because they're 99.9 percent in favor of Joe Biden. They don't want to know. They'd rather just have him. They don't care. And but these things do need to be looked into. And again, I'm not taking a side here. I think there's lots of compelling evidence you know, from what these lawyers are saying and the, and the, the, the case is being put into courts now. Just uh, I think it was Thanksgiving Day or the day before uh, the, the legal team. Uh, put some challenges in Michigan and I believe in one other state of camera. Maybe it was Georgia. Um, this needs to play itself out. We, we really if you're going to be praying for one thing right now, politically speaking, uh, pray that these challenges, uh, all these election, these allegations of election fraud uh, and, and a flawed election can be fairly litigated in our courts. We need to know. This country needs to know. Otherwise, if we go into another four years of a, of a presidency where half the country thinks it was stolen, uh, talk about divided. If you think we were divided before, uh, and if we don't have free and fair elections, we don't have what the pilgrims came here to start. And it's very connected to the pilgrims because they, they came here to form a government uh, by the consent of the governor, in other words, of the people. OK, before it was all about the king would decide who was in charge. The people had no say. And if we have no say in our elections because elections are rigged or flawed or fraudulent, then we've gone back to the situation that the pilgrims came from where they had no impact over their political situation. Now, you're going to hear this. It's all who you listen to in the media. If you listen to one side of the media, uh, you are going to. Uh, only be getting 
uh, one view of this. You'll, you'll, be, you'll be getting that there was no fraud. This is overstated. Here's Brian Stelter from CNN, what he had to say about that. This is what you'll hear if you just listen to CNN, mainstream media, MSNBC, read the major newspapers, Washington Post, New York Times, L.A. Times. Here's what you're going to here's what you're going to hear. That works. The election is over, of course. But in the pro-Trump media universe, it's still far from over. I want to show you a new way of interpreting these lies. And they are lies about mass voter fraud, machine rigging, and a crazy global conspiracy theory advanced by Trump's lawyers. Some of the biggest shows on Fox News are still giving ample airtime to Trump dead-enders, including members of his own family. The facts are the facts. Biden's win is being certified. This conspiracy is just like Trump's anti-media enemy of the people smear. It's a slow-acting poison that is crippling the American body politic. Election denialism is like a middle finger to democracy. Okay, so you tell me who you should trust. Should you listen to Sidney Powell, who said there was massive voter fraud, that, that Trump won in the landslide and this election was stolen? Or should you listen to Brian Stelter and the rest of CNN saying that this is election denialism and you know, the facts are the facts? <laughs> Someone is wrong. They both could be wrong. We're going to have to find out in the courts, and it's very necessary to do so. We had more sound bites. We're not going to be able to get to them because I want to get next into our next segment directly into a couple of articles that were written about the pilgrims and our true founding. The New York Times has tried to change the founding of America, not from 1620 when the pilgrims arrived, but to 1619. So when we come back, we're going to get into a couple of very interesting articles about the pilgrims, who they were, why they came here, and how it's actually very relevant today, and whether we, as believers today, have the same kind of mindset that they do. You're listening to The Christian Real View. More after this. I'm David Wheaton. Who is George Soros, and what does he believe? Are you religious? No. Do you believe in God? No. Soros told the independent newspaper in Great Britain, it is a sort of disease when you consider yourself some kind of God, the creator of everything. But I feel comfortable about it now since I began to live it out. Soros spends his billions to transform America into godless socialism. Be informed about him and the organizations he funds by ordering this George Soros resource bundle, which includes a 60-minute DVD, 60-page book, and 16-page follow-the-money chart and guide for a donation of $50 or more to the Christian Worldview. To order, call one 646 or write to Box 401, Excelsior, Minnesota, 55331, or visit org. That's thechristianworldview.org. The Bible says that children should be raised in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There's nothing more important than sitting, walking, talking, and teaching your son or daughter to love and fear God. The church is swimming in children's resources, but it's ultra important to select ones that accurately represent God, His Word, and the Gospel. At our store on thechristianworldview.org, we are intentional about offering resources that will build a sound and strong faith in children. You will find several Bibles for children, the Adam Raccoon book series, and Good News for Little Hearts series. We also have video and audio resources like Theo and Sugar Creek Gang 
Browse them all at thechristianworldview.org and then use them daily with the child God has put in your life. That's thechristianworldview.org. Thank you for joining us today here on the Christian Worldview radio program this Thanksgiving weekend as we talk about having a pilgrim mindset. And we will continue to follow this very important story of election fraud and uh, whether the evidence presented can be proven in court and whether it changes the the course of our history and even this election. So uh, be praying that the truth comes out on that. But there are two articles that uh, I came across this, this week uh, that actually a friend, uh, a family member actually sent to me uh, about the pilgrims that I think were are, are really good. That I, will, they will remind us of what this country was found on, founded on in, in light of the fact that they're this year especially. I mean, it's been going on for a while, but this year it just really came out that there's uh, uh, a, a large part of this country, maybe not a majority, but a large part, a significant part, let's just say, that believes this country is a terrible place. We're a colonizing, oppressive, racist, systemically racist peoples from our very beginning, uh, and that uh, white people, uh, homophobic, uh, founded us and perpetuated these uh, unjust principles for our society ever since uh, the first slaves here arrived in 1619. And so I think it's helpful to be reminded really what the truth is about our founding and to be reminded every year. We need reminders. Uh, sometimes from year to year, we'll read something about the pilgrims and the Puritans uh, one Thanksgiving. And by the next Thanksgiving, you're trying to think, now, what was that again? It's just like Scripture. This is why the Bible constantly uh, urges us to be in God's Word, to be reminded of certain things, because we all just have minds that cannot store information and be impacted by it unless we're relatively frequently being immersed in this kind of thing. So this first article came from Rebecca uh, Mansour. She's the senior editor at large for Breitbart News, which is a conservative uh, website online. And the title is Why We Chose 1620 as the Year of Our True Founding, Not 1619. And uh, she writes, uh, there appear to be few commemorations, parades, or festivals to celebrate the pilgrims this year, perhaps in part because revisionist charlatans of the radical left have lately claimed the previous year, 1619, as America's true founding. That was said by Senator Tom Cotton of uh, Arkansas, Republican from Arkansas, last week in a speech honoring the pilgrims. This is the 400th anniversary, by the way, this year of the of the pilgrims. Has that been, uh, have, have you noticed that, by the way? Has that been really made popular, that this is the 400th anniversary of the landing of the pilgrims in this country? I, I re- actually didn't even realize that. I hadn't heard anyone say it until I started reading some of the articles this week in preparation for the program. The article goes on to say, the revisionist charlatans he was referring to are the authors of the New York Times 1619 Project, which commemorates the year that the first ship arrived in the Virginia colony carrying African slaves. Recognizing the significance of the 400th anniversary of the beginning of American slavery is certainly worthwhile, and it is, but the 1619 Project's authors went beyond recognition and sought to, and this is an important word, reframe all of American history around the events of 1619. 
And for this, they have been roundly criticized by historians who decry their many inaccuracies and revisionist interpretations, including, for example, their claim that the American Revolution, late 1700s, was fought in order to preserve slavery in the colonies. Everything is seen through the the prism of one's skin color and race. That's critical race theory, and it's taking over in this country. In a Times op-ed rebutting the critics, Nicholas Gayat argues that the 1619 Project radically challenges a core narrative of American history by refuting the notion that the story of the U.S. is a gradual unfolding of freedom. Instead, the 1619 Project's authors describe a nation in which racism is persistent and protean. White supremacy shape shifts through the nation's history, finding new forms to continue the work of subjugation and exclusion. I just think this is very interesting, that the worldview we're dealing with today um, in America, this whole thing that really came totally to mainstream with the death of George Floyd here in Minneapolis, that we're a systemically racist country, goes all the way back to what we're talking about this Thanksgiving weekend, that they believe that 1619 was the founding of the country, and now they're perpetuating this myth, and they're teaching it to Americans all over. And you can see the consequence of that. People believe this. Uh, in other words, they think, back to the article, they think Abraham Lincoln got it wrong when he said our nation was conceived in liberty. They think it was conceived in racism. And now there is a push to incorporate the 1619 Project, here's the insidious part, into school curriculums to assist the woke revisionists who are already hard at work rewriting our history, one school child at a time. Just as they've been busy for years now reframing the history of the pilgrims and Thanksgiving. To unlearn the, quote, myth of Thanksgiving, educators are seeking ways to help students appreciate colonial oppression of native peoples and the violence that ensued from it. The article helpfully includes a video of PBS NewsHour Judy Woodruff explaining that the, quote, quintessential feel-good holiday of Thanksgiving actually, quote, perpetuates a myth and dishonors Native Americans. The story of Thanksgiving fares even worse on college campuses where students are taught that it should be commemorated as, quote, a national day of mourning, not a day for food, family, football, and I'll add thankfulness. It's just kind of based off the genocide of the indigenous people, said one student at Minnesota's McAllister College. The history of the holiday is obviously not the best. It's very violent and oppressive, said another. (laughs) Sorry, no, the article writes, this left-wing narrative of Thanksgiving is historically inaccurate garbage. We know who the pilgrims are and what they did because they meticulously documented everything for posterity. There are two original documents that we won't get into today, but William Bradford's, Bradford's Journal, Uh, And there's another one, I can't remember who wrote it, that was among them. We have original documents from that time. We need to resist this. This is taking over the country. This is even infecting churches, this whole idea of systemic racism, this this whole myth of, of that. And we need to teach our kids the truth about who were the pilgrims and why they came here. So going on with the article. Adams, John Quincy Adams, I believe, explained that the pilgrims were the antithesis of cruel or racist conquerors seeking to vanquish 
and plunder. Instead, they were illustrious by their intrepid valor, no less than by their Christian graces. Their glory has not been wafted over oceans of blood to the remotest regions of the earth. They have not erected to themselves colossal statues upon pedestals uh, to provoke and insult the, the tardy hand of heavenly retribution, but theirs was the better fortitude of patience and heroic martyrdom. Theirs was the gentle temper of Christian kindness, the rigorous observance of reciprocal justice, the unconquerable soul of conscious integrity. Now, that doesn't mean the pilgrims were perfect people. That doesn't mean they, they ever came in conflict like any peoples do when one people bumps up another against another people. We know that's the case. But we also know that there's a complete lie that these people came over here out of uh, you know, racial oppression and to conquer and to commit genocide to the indigenous peoples of America. The article goes on to say the uh, pilgrims were devout Christians. And much like evangelical Christians today, interesting the link here, these Englishmen and women sought to live by a simpler biblical-based faith modeled after the early church of the apostles. They wanted to live as a community that worshipped and worked together. But England and its established church had enacted laws that forbade religious gatherings in private houses. Isn't that interesting that the government in England was forbidding certain types of worship. We're seeing that today right here in America. Maybe not gathering in your house, although actually over Thanksgiving, certain governors are saying you can only, even here in Minnesota, you can only have one or two families uh, together in a house. They're literally restricting who you can have into your house, all because of the, quote, coronavirus. These laws basically thwarted the pilgrims' ability to practice their faith as a community. So in 1608, that's 12 years before they arrived in America, and they were facing the threat of imprisonment for their faith. The small community of pilgrims, they were actually called separatists uh, or dissenters, fled England and settled in Holland, which was known as a refuge for Protestant dissenters. But after living a decade among the Dutch in Holland, they realized it was time to leave the old world of Europe altogether. In 1618, Europe was on the cusp of one of the most violent periods in its history, the conflict, which became known as the Thirty Years' War, would pit Protestant and Catholic European powers against each other. Remember, after the Reformation, uh, Europe was split apart. They became Protestant and Catholic, and they were still battling and fighting against each other. For the pilgrims, the impending cataclysm in Europe seemed like the beginning of Armageddon. They felt the best course of action was to leave the old world behind and try to establish some holy remnant in the new one. Now, isn't that interesting as well? They were not too different than I think committed born-again Christians are today. We see what's going on in the world today. We see things falling into place in the world uh, toward globalism, toward strong government control. We read what Scripture says about the end times and the return of Christ and what the world's going to be like led by the Antichrist before Christ returns. And we have some of the same thoughts and takeaways that the pilgrims were sensing from what the old world was to become in Europe and why they came to America. Last bit before the break, getting to the new world was the hard part. This small community was not wealthy. They were humble working class folks. They were pious husbands and wives with children seeking a place where they could worship in peace, not adventurers seeking treasure and conquest on behalf of a monarch. 
We'll take a break and come back. We have much more on the pilgrims and whether we today as believers have this same pilgrim mindset. You're listening to The Christian Real View. I'm David Wheaton. David Wheaton here, host of The Christian Worldview. For over 15 years, our mission has been to sharpen the biblical worldview of Christians and to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. We pursue that mission on air through radio programs, in person hosting events, and online through audio, video, and print resources. We are an all-volunteer ministry, but have monthly operating expenses, the most significant being the cost of airtime on the station, website, or app on which you hear the radio program. We are looking for monthly partners so that each station or website is supported by its own listeners. The level of financial support for a given outlet is a key decision point whether we continue paying to broadcast there. To become a monthly partner of any amount, Call us toll-free, 1-888-646-2233, or visit thechristianworldview.org. Thank you for listening to and supporting The Christian Worldview. There's an abundance of Christian resources available, but the reality is that many of them, even some of the most popular, do not lead to a sound and strong faith. While there's only one perfect book, A key aim of the Christian worldview is to identify and offer resources that are biblically faithful and deepen your walk with God. In our online store, we have a wide range of resources for all ages, adult and children's books and DVDs, Bibles and devotionals, unique gifts, and more. So browse our store at thechristianworldview.org and find enriching resources for yourself, family, friends, small group, or church. You can also order by calling toll-free 1-888-646-2233. That's 1-888-646-2233. Or visit thechristianworldview.org. So glad you joined us this Thanksgiving weekend here on the Christian Worldview radio program. Our website is thechristianworldview.org. It's the best way to get in contact with us. We have so many resources in our store uh, on thechristianworldview.org for adults and children. It would be a great way to find a meaningful gift this year for someone at Christmas. Uh, we have a couple of special offers right now, the George Soros Bundle, Cal Beisner's recent book on, book on creation care, and so forth. So you can find out all about those at thechristianrealview.org. Our, our end of the year letter is being sent out soon. For those of you subscribed to that, you'll be getting that along with our resource guide. If, you, if you're if not on that list, you can sign up for it on thechristianrealview.org. We should be able to get you in uh, before it mails out uh, in, the, in the next week or so. Uh, today we're talking about uh, do we have a pilgrim mindset? And we're reading two articles, this first one from Breitbart News, uh, written this week, and they're both, by the way, both the articles we're reading today are linked on thechristianworldview.org in the preview for the program today. And the first one is more generally just about who the pilgrims were and uh, and why they came here. The second article we'll get into in just a second is more about their views, their political beliefs, uh, their faith, that kind of thing. Uh, just to finish the last couple paragraphs of the article we were just reading before this last break— It says, after 65 days and two deaths at sea, the Mayflower, the ship, made landfall on November 9th, 1620. So literally this time of year, 
400 years ago. Uh, I mean, just can you imagine what that was like? I mean, there was no there was no real established. There was, of course, Indian tribes and so forth, but the land was basically um, you know, unimproved. It was it was just wild wilderness. And you're coming here, and nothing's mapped out. There's nothing, no modern conveniences, and you just land on shore, and you're going to try to build buildings to live in and start find food and just live, just survive. Uh, having found a good haven, this is what William Bradford wrote, who would be the governor of this Plymouth colony many, many years. And he wrote extensive diaries about their experience. He said, having found a good haven and being brought safely in sight of land, they fell upon their knees, the pilgrims, and blessed the God of heaven who had brought them over the vast and furious ocean and delivered them from all the perils and miseries of it, again to set their feet upon the firm and stable earth, their proper element. That's what Bradford wrote of that particular moment. Only two people died. It was a terrible journey, storms and all sorts of things. Only two people died. But after that, actually after arriving, is when the sickness set in. And again, there's another parallel there to today with the coronavirus. I can't remember exactly what the illness was. It was some sort of fever um, that they were all catching. And only something like of the 102 that came over on the boat, on the Mayflower, only 52 survived uh, through the winter. And by the way, there were other non-pilgrims on the boat that they considered strangers who were not believers, who were kind of part of them. So it wasn't just like a group of people of like-mindedness. There was that, but there were also those that they had to interact with, that they were just coming for other purposes to the country, but they had to figure out a way to live together. And that's where the Mayflower Compact comes in. And of course, then there were the sailors and the captain and that sort of thing too. So this was a, a, a mixed group. Uh, not just, you know, uh, William Bradford sailing over himself, bringing just his own people on the Mayflower. The article continues by saying the jubilation was short-lived for landing here. They soon discovered they were over 200 miles off course. They were way to the north of where they were intending to go. They were intending to go to Virginia. And what's worse, it was almost winter in Massachusetts. Uh, Bradford writes, having thus passed the vast ocean and that sea of troubles, the pilgrims had no friends to welcome them, nor inns to entertain and refresh their weather-beaten bodies, nor houses, much less towns, to repair to. I mean, they had nothing. I mean, these people loved, love. our motivation in life is always between what we love more. They loved the idea of having a freedom to worship God more than they loved just living. Okay, did you get that? They loved the idea, the concept that they would be free to worship in the new new the, the new world despite the dangers and even dying more than they love just the idea of being comfortable and living back in England and kind of blending in. The article concludes by saying it was clear to them that the only thing binding them to this governing document, the Mayflower Compact, we'll get into that in a second, was their own consent as the ones being governed by it. They created a body politic out of the consent of those who were aboard the ship and they had the foresight to realize that they should and could do that. This historical, this true historical event taking place nearly two centuries, the signing of the Mayflower Compact before the signing of the Declaration of Independence embodied a fundamental American value, the belief that government is based on the consent of the governed. And this just, that, that's all I'm going to read from that column. But this is why, taking it back to the very beginning of the program today, this is why election fraud is so important for us to be aware of and for the truth to come out on. Because if you don't have fair elections, you don't have consent of the governed 
you don't have the consent of the governed as to who our political leaders are. You no longer are a constitutional republic. And that's why it is so important. That was the, the uniqueness. They, before they had come out of a world in which they're basically a tyrant or a dictator, a king would, would govern everyone. There's no elections. They had no say in who governed them at all. No, people didn't even know that for, for human history, basically. But these pilgrims were the one who said, we can. We can do that. We can have a consent of the people. The people can have a say in who governs them. But if you have election fraud and there's vast uh, rigging and stealing of elections, well, you no longer have that anymore. And that's why it's, it's so important. Okay, so let's get quickly, because we don't have a whole lot of time left today, to the, the second article. And again, they're both linked at thechristianworldview.org. And I would encourage you and your family uh, to sit down and read these columns this week or this weekend. Uh, take some time to do so, uh, because you know what? You're going to learn a lot, and it's going to make some things fit together in your mind about you know, what, who we are as a people, what the lies being told us today by the mainstream culture and the media about our, our, us being a, you know, a racist, oppressive people and so forth. And I'll give you an idea of who the pilgrims actually are. The second article is more on the, the religious and political views of the pilgrims and why that's important. And this article is entitled, How Reformed Theologians' Commitment to Self-Rule, Again, Consent of the Governed, and Resisting Tyranny Helped Form America. And this is by Mark David Hall of The Federalist. It's a, it's a good website to go for conservative um, columns and, and, and news. But before we get into that article, I just want to read the, the Mayflower Compact. Have you ever met, re- actually read the Mayflower Compact? You know, I, I thought it was some, you know, long document like the Constitution or it's not that at all. It's like one paragraph long. And here it is. Here's the Mayflower Compact that was signed on the Mayflower before they arrived. It was a, a compact, an agreement that everyone on board who was going to be part of this new colony. And by the way, this was pilgrims, Christians and those who weren't interested in those kinds of things are coming for the reasons they all had to live. They knew they needed government. And I'll tell you why in a second. So here's the Mayflower Compact in the name of God. Amen. Notice who they refer to first. That's the first line. In the name of God, amen. We whose names are underwritten, the loyal subjects of our dread sovereign, Lord King James, by the grace of God of Great Britain, France, and Ireland, King, Defender of the Faith, etc., having undertaken for our glory of God the advancements of the Christian faith in the honor of our King and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia. That's where they thought they were going. Do by these presents, uh, solemnly and mutually in the presence of God and one another, covenant and combine ourselves together into a civil body politic for our better ordering and preservation and furtherance of the ends aforesaid. And by virtue hereof to enact, constitute, and frame such just and equal laws ordinances, acts, constitutions, and offices from time to time as as be thought most meet and convenient for the general good of the colony unto which we promise all due submission and obedience. That's it. That's all it is. It's another word. We're going we're gonna to band together. We need some form of limited government for our common good, and we're agreeing to be under those leaders that we elect. That was the, really the start of the United States, what, what this American experiment is. And so it concludes by saying, in witness thereof, we have hereunto subscribed our names at Cape Cod, the 11th of November, 
uh, in the year of the reign of our sovereign Lord King James of England, France, and Ireland, the 18th, and of Scotland, the 54th, 1620. So November 11th, 1620, 400 years ago this month, the Mayflower Compact was signed by these men uh, on board, and that started really the the, the American um, the unique American experiment in self-government. Now, they understood a few things. As you can just read that paragraph from the Mayflower Compact, they understood just a couple things that, that is very telling about their worldview. Number one, they believe that God is, is sovereign in the affairs of life. In the name of God, amen. Everything was about God. Having undertaken for the glory of God the advancements of the Christian faith, they were all about living their lives in honor of a sovereign God over the affairs of men. That's number, the first thing they understood, obviously. The second thing they obviously understood is that man is to be subject to the rulers God has ordained. Even though they were fleeing the king and they are fleeing the religious persecution in England and elsewhere, they still knew that it's okay to flee, but they still know that we're to be obedient, to be subject to the rulers that God has ordained. They mentioned the king several times uh, in this document, very reverently, by the way, not, not in a way that we hate this man, um, but they wanted to flee his, his tyrannical jurisdiction so they could worship in freedom. But they still understood that we're to be sub- subject to rulers when those rulers uh, are not telling us to do things that God specifically has said that rulers shouldn't tell us to do. And the third thing they understood was, and this is important, that man has a sin nature and needs limited government. In other words, they realize their own sin natures. They, they realize going into the new world that, you know, we have a bunch of sinners on here. Yeah, we're Puritans, we're Christians, but we're still sinners. And we have other people who are not even probably saved, and we need some sort of government because otherwise we're going to be at each other's throats. We need some government, not a tyrannical Uh, top-down government. We need limited government, and that's what we did. We'll talk more after this last break of the day right here on The Christian Worldview. Who is George Soros, and what does he believe? Are you religious? No. Do you believe in God? No. Soros told the independent newspaper in Great Britain, it is a sort of disease when you consider yourself some kind of God, the creator of everything. But I feel comfortable about it now since I began to live it out. Soros spends his billions to transform America into godless socialism. Be informed about him and the organizations he funds by ordering this George Soros resource bundle, which includes a 60-minute DVD, 60-page book, and 16-page follow-the-money chart and guide for a donation of $50 or more to the Christian Worldview. To order, call one 646 or write to Box 401, Excelsior, Minnesota, 55331, or visit thechristianworldview.org. That's thechristianworldview.org. Be sure to take advantage of two free resources that will keep you informed and sharpen your worldview. The first is the Christian Worldview Weekly Email, which comes to your inbox each Friday. It contains a preview of the upcoming radio program, along with need-to-read articles, featured resources, special events, and audio of the previous program. The second is the Christian Worldview Annual Print Letter, which is delivered to your mailbox in November. It contains a year-end letter from host David Wheaton and a listing of our store items, including DVDs, books, children's materials, and more. 
You can sign up for the weekly email and annual print letter by visiting thechristianworldview.org or calling 1-888-646-2233. Your email and mailing address will never be shared, and you can unsubscribe at any time. Call 1-888-646-2233 or visit thechristianworldview.org. Do you have a pilgrim mindset? That is the topic we're discussing today here on the Christian Worldview Weekend, this Thanksgiving weekend. So glad you joined us. Our website to get connected with the ministry of the Christian Worldview is thechristianworldview.org. And uh, I want to read the, the passage from 1 Peter 2, where, where Peter is, is, is writing to believers who are being terribly persecuted uh, for their faith. And this is where he brings up this idea of the Christian life being a pilgrim life. He says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, 1 Peter 2, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Now, he's writing here to those who have put their trust, their faith in who Jesus Christ is and what he did for them on the cross. These are true born-again Christians. This isn't a general uh, writing to all people. This is to specifically to those who are followers of Jesus Christ, who were once not a people, but now are the people of God. There is the difference. You, you're, you're either you're either a, a child of God, or you're still you may not even know, it, but you're you're a child of Satan. That's the way the Bible divides all of mankind. We're all born and are dead in our trespasses and sins, and we're, we're children of Satan. And it's only through when God opens our eyes to understand the truth and the saving nature of the gospel, the good news about who Jesus Christ is, and his substitutionary atonement for us on the cross, and we come to repent and believe in that, that we go from being a child of Satan to becoming a child of God. And that's what Peter writes here, who were once not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy beforehand, but now have obtained mercy. And here's where he brings in the pilgrim part. Verse 11, chapter 2, 1 Peter, Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners a traveler, and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, the unsaved, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. In other words, abstain from fleshly lusts and do good works. This is a mark of the pilgrims, by the way, the early Americans. We'll see that in a second. Therefore, Verse 13, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors or as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. There, there's, the, there's the definition of what a government should do. It should punish evil and praise good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice or sin, but as slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. That is exactly what these early American pilgrims were like. They, they, that's how they saw themselves, that they were a chosen generation. They were, they were saved. They were a holy nation. They, they knew they were still sinners. They didn't, didn't think they were perfect people, but they were on a pilgrimage, and they wanted to abstain from fleshly lust. They didn't want to be—they they knew sanctification was 
critically important to the Christian life. And they knew that it was important to submit to, 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 uh, to the leaders that God had put in place. But they wanted religious freedom. That's why they left the old world and came here. But they didn't lose their reverence or honor or for their, 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 their honoring of those that God had put in political authority. But they knew they needed some limited government to punish evil and to praise good. Now, there's an article written by a pastor named Stephen Cole. I don't know him. He served as the pastor of Flagstaff Christian Fellowship. I think he's retired now, but I found this article online that he wrote about the pilgrim life. And he says, what Peter wanted his persecuted readers to see, that the Christian life is a pilgrim life. We are aliens and strangers on this earth. Peter shows us four things we must do to live as pilgrims. He said, to live as pilgrims, there is a mindset to adopt, a war to fight, a lifestyle to maintain, and a day to remember. I'm just going to briefly go over those in the last minutes of the program because he brings up very good points about these. To live as programs, there is, number one, a mindset to adopt. Peter says, seeing yourselves as beloved by God, also view yourself as an alien and stranger in this wicked world. Alien and stranger are used synonymously, he writes. They point to one who is a temporary resident or traveler in a foreign country just passing through on his way to his home country. Such a person has a very different mentality about life than a permanent native has. That's the pilgrim life. This is not our home. Don't get too attached to this. We have a heavenly home, a heavenly citizenship, and we're passing through here. Yes, we need to interact with the the residents here, but don't be impacted by their false worldviews and the way they live their lives. Our, our worldview, our lives need to be impacted by the home that we're going to in heaven. Number two, to live as pilgrims, there is a war to fight. In verse 11, he says, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. To abstain means to hold oneself constantly back from. Waging war points to not a single battle, but to a military campaign. Every believer faces a lifelong struggle against these fleshly lusts, which if yielded to, will take a person captive and destroy him. There is so little emphasis in today's evangelical church on the pursuit of sanctification, of holiness, of becoming like Christ. And so there's a really major problem with with professing believers being just like the world. That's not what the pilgrim life is. It's a mindset to adopt. We're on our way to a, our homeland in heaven. It's a war to fight against our fleshly loss. And number three, it's a lifestyle to maintain. Peter says that as pilgrims, we are to maintain a lifestyle of attractive deeds, even in the face of ugliness from those who are lost. It will result ultimately in glory to God, which is the overall aim of the Christian life. In other words, we should do good deeds. Uh, one of the, I think it was Paul or Peter said in Scripture, remind them to be careful to engage in good deeds. That is the purpose of life, not personal f- peace and affluence and, and gaining things and buying things, but to do good deeds. Number four, to live as pilgrims, there is a day to remember, uh, the, <clears throat> the pastor writes. For us, the point is that as pilgrims, we keep that great day of visitation in view when we are going to meet our, our God. We live not knowing that one day, now knowing that one day everyone must stand before God either for commendation, praise, or condemnation, judgment. Thus, we should seek to live with that day in view when we're going to stand before God so that we will hear, well done, 
thou good and faithful servant. As we live with that day in view, we should seek to persuade those who are on the road to condemnation to receive God's mercy before it is too late. And I would just say, if you're listening today, and you're listening to this Thanksgiving broadcast of the Christian worldview, and you have maybe heard the gospel or never heard the gospel, you don't know what that, what that is, this is the most important message in all of life, that God created you to, to know him and to be in relationship with him and to worship him, but your sin has separated you from God and will bring you before him in judgment someday. But the good news is God sent his son Jesus to die for your sin so that your sin could be judged through Christ and that by repenting of your sin and believing in who Christ is and what he did for you, you can be forgiven and have eternal life and live this pilgrim life. I urge you to do that today. Thank you. There's more about that on our website, How to Be Right with God. Go to that page to find out more. Thanks for joining us today on The Christian Worldview. We do live in a changing and challenging world, but there is one thing we can always count on and trust in. Jesus Christ and his word are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Have a great We hope today's broadcast turned your heart toward God, his word, and his son. To order a CD copy of today's program or sign up for our free weekly email or to find out how you can be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, go to our website, thechristianworldview.org or call us toll-free at 1-888-646-2233. The Christian Worldview is a weekly one-hour radio program that is furnished by the Overcomer Foundation and is supported by listeners and sponsors. Request one of our current resources with your donation of any amount. Go to thechristianworldview.org or call us toll-free at 1-888-646-2233 or write to us at Box 401, Excelsior, Minnesota, 55331. That's Box 401, Excelsior, Minnesota, 55331. Thanks for listening to The Christian Worldview. Until next time, think biblically and live accordingly.